Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, Cricket Badgers everywhere. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast and welcome along to it. Thank you to everybody in Vietnam. Currently riding high as number one in the podcast charts over there. Never expected that to happen, to be honest, when I started off doing the Cricket Badger podcast, but it's much appreciated, the Cricket Badger podcast, getting listened to all around the world at the moment. And I was really pleased when I opened the latest edition of the Cricketer magazine. Simon Hughes, a previous guest on the podcast, included the Cricket Badger podcast in one of his fairly short list of uh, lockdown listens. So thank you to Yossa for that. He did describe it as a very much a 20 questions based podcast, but I hope you'll agree. There's a little bit more to it than that. We have slightly different features on it now and again too. And not everybody that comes on the podcast is subjected to the 20 questions. But I must admit, it did make me think about the 20 questions. And when I started doing those, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to work. It was just a a way to frame interviews. And I wondered if everybody's answers were going to be pretty similar and it was going to be a little bit boring. But actually, I think it's been a really good foundation for using the same kind of framework for an interview. Go off at tangents at times, but everybody's answers to all of the questions are pretty different and take you down a slightly different route in their lives. So it's a quite a nice way, I think, a nice framework to get through people's careers and times in the sport. And today is a good example because they're going to be joined on the Cricket Badger podcast by former Australian ODI, former Glamorgan, current Leicestershire batsman, all-rounder Mark Cosgrove joins us from his home in South Australia and he takes on the Cricket Badger 20 questions, talks about his time in the game. I must admit I'd never met Cosy before and found him a really good chat. And I think you'll enjoy the listen. Thank you very much to tvsportsblog.com for supporting the podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at tvsportsblog. Some really good sporting content on their various platforms. And thanks for you for listening. So stay tuned. And on today's edition, we give you former Australia international Mark Cosgrove. 
It's that Badger style. My steady flight's come back. So I was in India for, oh, we're meant to be there for three weeks. Bain's Road Safety um, Cup in India. Yeah. And then um, I was coming home, coming home for a few days and seeing the family and then flying out. But India got cut short and then obviously this blew up probably middle of, middle of March. So um, yeah, my flights got pushed back to the 6th of June and pretty much got cancelled. The 6th of June one got cancelled yesterday, I think. So, yeah, I'm not, not <laughs> sure what's going to happen uh, uh, going forward. I suppose it could have been worse, couldn't it? You could have been kind of landing in, in the UK just as everything shut down. So it's better to uh, yeah, definitely. not, not have travelled. Yeah, definitely. And saying that, um, there's no guarantee I'll get back home to Australia either at the moment with our borders shut. So, yeah, it's probably a blessing in disguise that we, I came straight back from India to Australia, not, not straight to England. So, yeah, it's nice being around the family at the moment and having some downtime. I mean, you're not far away from your 36th birthday, are you now? I mean, cr- cricket on hold and everything. <laughs> you you, you want to see cricket coming back because otherwise you might miss it. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm lucky I play cricket three months ago or four months ago. Well, not even four months ago. Probably three months ago in Australia. So I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones who he got a summer, got to play a bit of cricket in the summer uh, or in, in your winter. So, um, yeah, I definitely want to see cricket returning. Um, hopefully the, the pubs are open for my birthday, but um, <laughs> fingers crossed everything tears up reasonably soon. And, you know, I'm, I'm on that flight back to England um, end of July, uh, start of August maybe. I mean, you're somebody that's obviously travelled around the world and, and, and played cricket all over the place and obviously had your little stint with, with Australia as well, the national team. But they're talking in, in England at the moment about the West Indies coming across and playing in a, I can't remember the phrase now, bio-bubble or something like that where the West Indies land in this country, don't actually talk to anybody else apart from their own squad, play the games and then go home again. It, that that's, sounds to me to be quite a hard thing for a cricketer to cope with. Um, oh, look, yes, it is. But um, at the end of the day, it's still your job. I think we're talking about India coming to Adelaide, play their two tests, and, and Adelaide and staying at the ground and basically doing exactly the same thing. They walk from the hotel into the ground, um, out the ground into your hotel room. But if you go to places like um, Bangladesh, India, you don't travel too much, too far from your hotel. Mm. And look, if it's only going to be a two-week period, if you, if you go back-to-back games, sort of three or four days off in between. It's not the worst. Um, it's not fantastic. England's, England and London's a fantastic place to go out and have a look around and restaurants and, and stuff like that. But to get cricket going again, to get it back on TV, to get, uh, I'm, I'm tipping there's no, no supporters there. So but just to get it back on TV, to get people interested in something again, you know, there's only amount of um, reruns you can watch EastEnders and Neighbours um, before you go stir-crazy, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that is very true. It's, it's quite a social <laughs> sport, though, cricket, isn't it? You know, it's, it's playing with your teammates, but it's also going out and experiencing the cultures and things of the places you're going to. So, you know, you, I know, I know the money's important, and it's, well, it's massively important because some clubs might go under if they don't get any cash coming in soon. But you're going to miss a little bit of cricket, aren't you? Because it's all about your teammates. It's all about the, the social side, too. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Most of your, your memories are obviously the, on the cricket field, but some of your, your best fond memories are in the change of having a beer or, or going out, or, or it could be just like on a team excursion out to um, a place for, for the day. Um, yeah, you definitely do miss that, miss that bond that you do have with teammates. You know, once you're back in the hotel room, it can be pretty, pretty quiet and pretty lonely. Um, but saying that, if it's only a two-week turnaround, I think players can get that done. Yeah. 
Well, I, I tell you what, we've got into this chat without actually introducing you. Mark Cosgrove, welcome to the Cricket Budget Podcast. <laughs> How are you? Um, no, it, yeah, good, good. It's uh, it's Thursday. It's coming up to Thursday evening where you are. It's it's fairly early Thursday morning where I am. So what, what day am I expecting to have? Because you've already had this Thursday, haven't you? Uh, I had a pretty good day. Went to driving range. Um, <laughs> smacked some golf balls around. Just driving out to a mate's house now for dinner. Yeah, so my, my day's been pretty relaxing. Uh, did the school run this morning. Yeah, it, it's been just trying to things to keep myself busy at the moment. Put a clothes, clothes line up the other day, so that was exciting for, uh, for Wednesday. That, but yeah, I'm not doing much, to be fair. It, yeah, it comes to something when putting the clothes line up's classed as exciting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. Nah, um, things are starting to open up over here now, so... Um, you can get to driving rain. We're playing golf tomorrow with a couple of, uh, couple of mates, so we're, we're starting to be able to get out and do stuff, which is which for me is fantastic. For you, hopefully, you can get to the shops and uh, yeah, buy some groceries. Yeah, they they opened up the golf courses here yesterday, so I, th- I saw on my Twitter yesterday oh, loads of people starting to hit golf balls again, which is a good sign, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's a fantastic sign. It's good to be able to get out, walk around. You know, you get frustrated where the balls don't go where you want them to go, but it, it's good to uh, get that walk in and, and get some fresh air, to be fair. I'll tell you what, though, mate. You, you realise what you're missing when, you, when you're locked down in a flat and uh, you, you've not got the, the social side of your life and even work, um, you realise what you're missing. So I think a few of us in England are raring to go. Once this lockdown finally comes out of place, I think there's a few people with a few things to tick off that they want to want to get done that they're never able to do during the lockdown period. It's made you reevaluate your life a little bit, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think things that you needed to do around the house probably get done a bit, bit quicker. And um, yeah, it definitely gives it perspective into what, what you actually need to do in life or what is a necessity and what's a uh, thing that you enjoy doing. Yeah. You know, um, at the moment, people are in some hard times. I, um, my wife's mum's over there and she's been Played off work and, and basically in lockdown for the last six or eight weeks. She's finding her passion for puzzles and, and stuff like that again. And there'll be some good coming out of this, no doubt about it. Well, you're taking on the Cricket Badger 20 questions today. And we'll start with question number one. If yeah. not a cricketer, what would you have done with your life? If cricket hadn't existed, where would life have taken you? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I was sort of thrust into cricket really young. Um, I was no good at school. So um, I'm not sure. I love my sport. So I'd hope I'd be a... Uh, a PE teacher or a um, someone in sport and and helping young kids achieve their goals. Because I, I just love all sports: soccer, footy, cricket. Yeah. So hopefully, something same within sports and and helping young kids um, reach their potential. Who was the biggest influence on your cricket career? Oh, look, my dad. Dad's got to be up there. Dad worked night shift to take me to cricket games. Um, he used to drive me from one end of the city to the other. Um, we lived an hour out of town and I'd face my local team in the morning, uh, finish that game about 11 and, and drive to town to play another game. Yeah, so dad um, and, and obviously my batting coach, Russell Thompson, um, he's, he's coached me since I was about seven or eight. Uh, and when I got older, Matt Maynard was really, really good for me at Glamorgan. He um, really gave you a lot of confidence when you batted and he sort of grew under his, his leadership and it was just um, really good to, to strike up that partnership. What's been your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to any 24 hours of your life and you could relive it again, which one would you choose to take? Um, that's a tough one. Obviously, uh, playing for your country is always a proud moment. For me personally, playing for your country is, is the one you'd want to go back to. Being sort of 21 again, um, playing for your country, um, it's a, a pretty cool moment to do that. But other than that, with team success, with Tasmania winning, winning a couple of shields, um, with Tasmania, it's right up there. 14 years ago since you played your three ODIs. Time flies, isn't it? 
Um, you played three. You had uh, highest score of seventy four. Do, do you look back and think I could I could have got more out of my international career than that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think if you look back now, I'd, I'd do things um, probably completely different. To be fair, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, like, there's aspects where you'd keep them, aspects where you'd definitely change. Um, obviously, like injured in that last ODI uh, game against India, and then and never really bounced back to sort of my full potential with the ball. And yeah, it probably took me sort of a year, year and a half to sort of get get the hunger back, but the the drive to get back to where where it was sort of eighteen months before that. I'll jump forward with one of the questions here because of what you've just said. But if, if you were starting your career again, if it was a, a young Mark Cosgrove, you sat there, you're 14 years old, all bright-eyed and looking forward to a, a life in cricket, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself there to do differently, maybe? Yeah, probably not um, take it for granted. Take, well, I think in my career, everything happened so quickly. When I was so young. You know, I played eight-year-old cricket when I was 14 years old. I... Um, debuted to FSA when I was 17, played for Australia when I was 21. And everything happened so quickly. And I was so young. Not taking it, not taking it for granted, but you just thought you had time mm. to sort of uh, adapt or get better or do the things you needed to do and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, probably not taking anything for granted, to be fair. Everybody matures at different rates. As a 17-year-old, how mature would you, would you have been? <laughs> how able to um, deal with it were you? No, definitely. I think um, obviously you guys wouldn't know that the stuff that was getting written, the stuff that was publicised in Australia, I probably wasn't adapting quick enough to combat what was being said in the papers and on the news TV and stuff like that. The outside affected me personally. Yeah. Um, and it probably and I probably wasn't old enough to deal with that, to be fair. Like if, if it came now, you, you'd shrug it off and you, you, you'd do it definitely. But when you're 17, 18, 19, when quite in, influential at that stage of your career or... Um, and you're going around mates' houses and, and you're getting um, shouted at in the street and stuff like that. Um, it probably does affect you a little bit and I probably didn't deal with that as best I can. I've not actually seen a lot of you play live, to be honest, but I, I've always kind of looked out for you because Darren Lehman was always my favourite cricketer. I'm a Yorkshire fan and Darren Lehman came over yep. from South Australia. He, he'd scored so many runs in Sheffield Shield. He came over and he scored more runs, I think, than any overseas player has for, for Yorkshire as well. He's, he's very well loved in these parts. And because you were called Baby Buff, I always kind of looked out for you as well. Was that, you know, To be compared to somebody of his calibre, was that quite hard to deal with as well? That Those associations that you, you're going to be as good as him? Yeah, definitely. I think um, me and Buff get on uh, really well. We, I played my first A-grade game with him. He, he grew up in the same area I did, um, played for the same local club at Northern Districts. Um, so, uh, yeah, so to me, watching Darren play was, was awesome. Um, and he was phenomenal. If anybody ever got to watch how well he played and how well he knew the game, he was amazing. Um, he was one of the best batters I've ever seen play. Yeah, at that stage of my career, it was fun. Um, at 17, 16, 17, or, or 15, 16, 17, basically, we called Baby Buff. It was fun. It was it was good fun. But then, obviously, once you got a bit older, you, you sort of wanted to get out of that shadow a little bit and, and do your own thing and, and become your own player and stuff like that. Somehow, I never really shook. But to be fair, it was I was never going to be as good as Buff. Buff was amazing. I, I can remember um, sitting. Yeah, I can remember sitting at Headingley watching him from. I think I was about the sort of point boundary to him as a left-hander in, in the crowd at that stage, and um, he just got on his toes and he had so much time to play the ball. It's just an incredible player, and a lot of the Yorkshire lads say that you know playing with him added to their their cricket cricketing lives and social lives as well because he was he was good on and off the pitch. Uh, Darren Lehman. I, yeah, I, he was. Yeah, I, he, I imagine he was a, he was a terrific bloke to kind of use as a as a bit of a mentor. 
Oh, 100%. You'd, you'd bat with him for hours on end. It was, it was amazing watching him, how he face Brett Lee and, and do it easy and, and talk you through how to do it. He, he, he knew what was happening and over or balls in, before they were bowled. Um, he'd come down and say, just look, you're going to go into your ribs here. Just get him beside it. Get one, get off strike and, and we'll go again. Yeah. Um, he knew he knew the game inside out. But the best things for Darren was, was he, he was happy to um, have a beer after the game and, and talk you through what you could have done better or what, what you did really well. I learned so much from just sitting around, listening to him, Greg Blue, Jason Gillespie, Matthew Elliott, um, just talking about the game of cricket. Uh, it was amazing. I think it gets lost these days. But then once, sort of, once you finish the game, you're in the ice bar, you're in the shower, you're heading home. or It's so rushed after the games these days. You actually don't get to hear the senior players chat without being a formal um, conversation. It is relaxed where you just sit there, chat about the game, chat about how well they bowled or how poor they bowled. And you just learn from just listening on um, how they played the game or how they read the game or where you see yourselves in the game. I think it gets lost these days. I mean, Darren Lehman, he's still in touch with a lot of the Yorkshire players. I mean, the, the overseas players in, in English county cricket are important, aren't they? They, they come in and obviously you, you're paying those guys to score your runs, take your wickets. But it's also what they give off the pitch too. And, uh, uh, you know, you've had your stints at Glamorgan with Leicestershire. You've enjoyed your, your time in county cricket, I assume, because you've come back for more. You know, it's the, it's the off the pitch stuff as well and dealing with fans and everything like that. It's a, a, the overseas role's got more to it than just playing, hasn't it? hundred percent. If you're just paying for someone to make runs and get nothing off the field, you're wasting your money. You need an overseas, or you'd like an overseas to give to the young kids coming through. And you, you think back on the overseas players teams have had. It's maybe not the ones who made all the runs who are remembered. Mm. It's the ones who gave a lot, who gave um, the young kid a one-on-one session or a, a lesson on, on how to play cricket, how to play spin, quick bowling. They're the ones that are remembered. You know, Okay, they may keep a runs, but it's what they leave afterwards. And that's what you get your overseas pros in for, I believe, is to obviously make runs, but be another coach, be another mentor in the group. Because you, you get an international player, you want them to feed, you want them to give everything they've got to the younger players or even the senior players, just to so they learn quicker. You want the process of learning quicker. And the overseas players can fast track that immensely. Yeah, you talk about the youngsters there, and you'd imagine, you know, as a, as a youngster in a, in a county squad, you're in awe a bit of some of these players that come in as overseas players, and you want to pick their brains. And it's having time for those people too, isn't it? And not being that kind of the big time Charlie, but actually sitting down with a, a 17 year old and passing on some wisdom. Yeah, definitely, and that's what you want. You want the overseas player talking to your younger kids, talking to your captain, talking to um, everyone, so so that everyone learns. It's a shame if they come in and don't talk to anyone, play their game, walk away. You know, you're not getting full value out of the overseas pro. Do you think in Australia, I mean, Australia don't really have overseas players in, in the same way that, that, that we do in England. And often in England, we we look at some players coming into the English county scene. They come back four years later with their, their national side and they bash England all over the park because they've learned a lot of their game in English county cricket. But in Australia, you don't necessarily have that so much, do you? No, I think um, my career we've had um, Andy Flower. Um, for South Australia, yeah, and that's about it. Obviously, the T20s there's a bit different. We've only got six teams, so it it is hard to find spaces for your overseas players. In England, you've obviously got a lot more teams. So there is spaces for overseas pros, and look, I, I'm all forty overseas. I think they're they're fantastic. I think they give a lot to the the players. I think the young kids love it. You know, if you get a good overseas, the young kids they grow. You look at um, Glenn Maxwell at Lancashire. Some of those young kids idolise him. And rightly so. 
You know, they, they, they grow six feet tall because he's playing with them he's, and he's, he's got their back. And there's nothing better than a young kid if you're your senior player or your overseas player has your back and you know that he's going to back you in to make runs, take wickets. You know, it, it gives you that added confidence. Cricket Budget Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Can we talk a little bit about the, the difference between the, the domestic setup in Australia and, and England? Because I've talked to Jason Gillespie, I've talked to a few of the sort of the Aussies that have come over to England in the past and they've said that the, you know, they love English county cricket but it's intense, isn't it? You go from one game to another to another. You don't really get much time to sit back and actually look back at what you've just done and then prepare for the next game. Whereas in the Sheffield Shield, for example, you you play a game and you get proper time to prepare for it because there's a little bit of time between those matches, isn't there? It's it's a different kind of challenge, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're both as good as each other in, in the different ways. Uh, if you're informed in county cricket, gee, you just want to keep batting and you get a chance to keep batting for a month on end. I think when you look at this season this year, you know, I looked at it this year, we had seven four-day games to start the season. And I was like, well, if I can get myself informed for that game one, I've got seven games where I can get 700 runs yeah. before we really get into the season. Where in Australia, you sort of have a game, they have a week off, you know. But in that case, you get to plan and prep. You get the best players play all the time. You know, your bowlers don't really need to be rotated too much. At the back end of the season, the bowlers are still reasonably fresh. Being counted for you, obviously, you the ball moving around a lot more. Bowlers don't need to bowl 150Ks. They need they can bowl 130. You know, as long as they hit the seam and put it in a nice area, they're threatening. Uh, in Australia, you do need someone to come and bash the door down. So it's different challenges in both uh, in both games. Um, I, I do like county cricket because you do get to play cricket every day. And that's, that's why I play cricket because I love playing the game. I didn't like training too much uh, in the nets and stuff like that. I, I wanted to be under match pressure. I wanted to be in the spotlight making runs. Um, so county cricket for me was, was awesome. I could make runs every day of the week if I wanted to, one or the, if I had the chance to. Yeah. One of the things one of the Aussies said to me, I can't remember who it was now, but they said, um, yeah, the, the the one difference to them was that between Sheffield Shield matches, if you were taking on a state that maybe had a really good leg spinner, you're able to get in the next yep. couple of days and play leg spin and get ready for that. In in county cricket, you don't really get that chance, do you, to, to properly prepare and maybe fine-tune some skills that you might need in the next game? Yeah, definitely, I think. Every state has a leg spinner, or they have definitely have leg spinners in their in their grade competition. Um, I think when we were in Tasmania, we would have James Faulkner left arm. If he wasn't in the squad in the team, and we're playing against Mitchell Johnson, James would come and bowl, and we're trying to outsource another left arm bowler. Um, yeah, we definitely definitely get the plan a bit more in Australia, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. A lot of people like watching a lot of tapes and a lot of videos on the team they're coming up against or, or their own vision. It sometimes it does muddle people up a little bit as well. Mm. So, it, yeah, in Australia, you do get to prep and prepare. Um, back in the day, the pitches used to be different. So you'd have Bell Reeve was a green seamer uh, along with the, um, the Gabba. And then WA was fast and bouncy. Other Sydney turned. And MCG did a bit of everything. So but now we're dropping pitches. All pitches are reasonably similar now. So it sort of takes away that, oh, geez, we're going to Sydney to tomorrow we need to rake our pitches to make sure we're ready to spin but yeah you definitely did prepare to go go to Sydney you did a week out you had used pitches that you probably trained on for a week probably get raked and then you, you're playing spin all week so you did have a lot of time to prepare and 
and get yourself ready for the game. We did your best moment in cricket, Mark Cosgrove. Let's have a little back and your worst moment in cricket. I'm not sure. I, I've probably also dropped a few catches in my time. Um, <laughs> oh, look, it's all, it's all been... Uh, I'm not sure. Worst moment in cricket. Um, I'm not sure. Um, look, obviously getting suspended wasn't ideal, but if I didn't get suspended, I probably wouldn't have played for Australia that, that same year. So I'm not sure. I mean, just, uh, just, talk, just talking about that, I mean, I, I, I try to get through this interview without talking about your physique because that's been a, a, yep. con, a constant question that you must have faced. Every single interview you, you've ever done must, be, must have talked about that. And we've got about 25 minutes, I think, through our chat without, without bringing it up. You talk about yep. being suspended, which was about fitness, wasn't it? And we talked about Darren Lehman, and yep. Darren Lehman was famous for having a fag and a, and a beer and, and what have you, and not necessarily being your classic athlete shape. How, how much of a frustration was that? If, you, if In that question I asked you before about going back to the start of your career and doing things differently, would would fitness have played more of a part, or have you always been happy with how you've been? Uh, no, definitely, fitness definitely would have been a bit, bit bigger part. You know, obviously, 17, 18, 19, um, it's... Uh, a bit of a um, oh, screw you. I know I'll show you. I'll just make runs and I'll be fine. I'll make runs. I'll make runs. I don't think anyone's ever had a go at me about not performing. I think my my runs and my stats are, are reasonably good. So it's never been an issue about making runs. I think when I was young, it was like, right, I'll just make runs and that would that take care of it. Cricket's a skill based sport. The thing for me was if I, I weigh 50 kilos and don't make a run, I don't get a game. If I weigh 100 kilos, average 50, I'm getting a game. So, yeah, definitely I would have had a different perspective on that um, as a young kid and definitely would, would have probably realised a lot sooner than, than I did to what was needed to play um, higher or needed to play probably not any longer. But, yeah, definitely um, would have yeah would have changed my ways. I think when I got suspended, I, I was 20 years old living in Newcastle in England as an overseas uh, pro playing at school. Yeah. You know, 20-year-old, you, you're living... You're getting some decent money to play club cricket. Uh, you're living in Newcastle, which is probably one of the best, or one of the best night spots in England. Look, if, you, if you're a 20 year old, I, I'm tipping I did nearly exactly what any 20 year old would have done. And, and look, I paid the price. I got suspended for a month. Came back two kilos overweight. Yeah, got suspended for a month. So um, did that. Knuckled down. Stayed with the same attitude. I'll make runs. I'll be fine. Made a heap of runs that year, uh, and then got picked for Australia on the back of it which I don't think I would have done without going to Glamorgan, to be fair. I remember Matt Maynard ringing me up in that suspension and saying they wanted to sign me as, as the overseas. Or would I be interested? It just gave me that bit of confidence that, uh, you know what, there's still people out there backing me and all right, I'll make sure I'm ready to go for Glamorgan, basically. I, I, it was one of them years where, all right, I'll get myself ready to play, play county cricket. Um, and I did everything I could to, to play county cricket. I didn't expect to play a lot of field cricket that year. Obviously, getting suspended for that first month. You think you can probably take another month to get back in the team. You get the Christmas break we had back then was another three weeks. I was envisioning being out of the game for 12 weeks. But lucky enough, I made a lot of runs in grey cricket that month and got picked in the first. I think my suspension ended on the Tuesday and I got picked to play the Wednesday night one-day game against Queensland, um, which which probably is one of my best things I've ever played. And then from then on, I, I played every game that year. I had Samit Patel on the podcast the other day and we, we had a similar kind of chat with, with Samit and Samit's 
he's getting on a little bit in years in, in cricketing terms. And yeah, you know, you're two examples of people that haven't necessarily been the classic cricket shape or what people expect an athlete to look like. But you both had long careers, so there's something to be said for that, isn't there? You, you know, you've you've not uh, had to pack in because you can't do it anymore. You're still fit and you're still playing cricket. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I know I could bat all day. Uh, I, I did that last year. I think I batted for seven hours against Durham. And I know I could get through 10 overs if I needed to. I probably don't want to get through 10 I think well, I think I bowled 13 overs on the bounce last year at, at Lords. So, look, I know I'm, I'm, if you put a cricket ball in my hand or put a bat in my hand, I'll, I can bat all day and bowl all day. I may not be able to run a 10K, 10Ks, but I know I'm fit enough to do my job. So, looking back, if I was 17 or 18, yeah, I may have taken a different view on it, especially these days. But back then, it was still the, you make runs, you take wickets, you get the job done. That, that's all the. So when I grew up, that's all the people respected. If you did your job, you were you were getting picked and you and you you were getting respect. But that was it. If you could, it didn't matter if you could run a two k time trial or a ten k or you look fit. If you couldn't do your job. Then no one wanted the bar of you. If you could do your job, yeah, there was a spot there for you. You could face Mitchell Johnson, Brett Lee at their quickest um, at six o'clock at night, trying to bat out the day. And you get through that, and then tomorrow you make runs. That's what everybody wanted to see. That's what everybody wanted to be like. They wanted to be that tough cricketer who could get through them spells, who didn't mind getting hit in the body. For me, it was more about right. I'm going to do my, get my job done. Do my job. When you, once you get picked to play a game of cricket, no, no matter if you break out, break a hand, break an arm, you do the job as best you can. Even if you go out there one handed, you just you just get it done, or you try it the best you can get it done. Ultimately, I guess, I mean, when people look back at their careers, cricket's a very stats-based game. And, and you know, you, Mark Cosgrove, you'll sit in your, your armchair with your pipe and your slippers and you'll say, well, I averaged this, I scored that many runs, I contributed to X, Y, Z in terms of wins for your team. But some people would say, if you're not the athlete, if you're not really committed to the fitness side of it, especially these days, and, and fitness is a big thing across all sports, that you, maybe you're not quite respecting the game enough. Would, what would be your reaction to that? Um, oh, look... Everyone's going to have their own opinions on people's careers. I just think, like I said, like you look at cricket, it's such a skill-based sport. You look at um, soccer or you look at AFL football, you could run around the ground and not touch the footy and do a great job. You can't do that in cricket. You can't make a duck or not take a wicket and, and do a good job. So for me, the stats speak for themselves. Yeah. If you average, like, I think Darren averaged 55, that, that's amazing. It, it doesn't show that. I've never seen on a on a statistic website or ESPN or Cricket Info that it shows your 2K time trial up there or your 10K time trial. It's all about wickets, runs, strike rate. Yeah, I've never seen any, any stat that shows that you, you can run your skin folds at 60 on any, any stat. So for me, look, the stats are stats. You, know, you do your job is for making runs and taking wickets. Who was your cricket hero when you were younger? Uh, Brian Lara. I, I love watching Brian Lara play. He, he was awesome. Yeah, and obviously Darren as well. You're watching them too. Um, obviously got to watch Darren probably a little bit more and obviously a lot more closely. But uh, Brian Lara growing up, um, I think I went through a season trying to bat like him and, and averaged about five. So it was, it was just awesome to watch play. And he took Australia on. And it, that was one thing not many people did sort of back then, take Australia on and, and, and be good at it. And, and he was very good against Australia. Lefties seem to be drawn to having heroes that are lefties as well. You want to see somebody that bats a bit like you, don't you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, you, you probably don't want to try to think of a right hand batter now. Uh, uh, Ricky Ponting, 
uh, if you can't bat like him in the backyard, really. You know, in the backyard, that's where you, you have your heroes, where you, you, you see me in like Early Ambrose or you, you're batting like Brian Lara. Um, it's, it's hard to be um, uh, Mitchell Johnson and Ricky Ponting if you can't, you can't do that in the backyard. If you could trade lives with any current cricketer, you live in their skin for a day and experience what it's like to be them, play like them, have their lives for 24 hours, who would you pick? Chris Gale would be up there. I reckon he'd have a pretty good life. Um, go around the world, slugging balls out the ground. I, I think he'd go. He'd be a pretty good life to uh, trade for a day. He seems to enjoy it as well, doesn't he? Off the pitch as well as on it. He's, uh, he's quite a character. Yeah, he definitely is. We, we, um, we had him at Sydney Thunder for a couple of years and he was really good. He was awesome to be around and his laid-back attitude was was um, was quite funny at some stages. You know, we had to train in the afternoon because every time we trained in the morning, he he would just sleep. So we uh, we changed our training to the afternoon, so he'd he'd, uh, he'd train with us. You're in charge of world cricket for a day, Mark Cosgrove. You're behind the big desk. You can do anything you like with the world game. What would you do to make cricket better? I've got this one theory, and I'll, I'll throw it around the Leicester Chandians now and again. It's the no ball you can ask to have it rebolt or not rebolt. So it's up to you if you want the extra ball. So if you're blocking out for a draw and someone bowls a no ball, that, that ball's not, that's done. And you don't get, next, don't get another chance to get me out. Yeah. And on the flip side, if you're chasing, you get to have that ball. So I think, I think that would be a, a good thing because uh, at Leicester, we, we, um, unfortunately, we've been blocking out some games the last couple of years. Um, and you go, well, oh, I've got 50 balls to face here. I've got 50 balls. The thumb balls and no ball. You're like, oh, still at 50. So if that can go down to 49, that's not my fault. You bowled no ball and can't get me out. So I, I think you can choose not to have that ball rebowled. I've never actually thought of that before. But yeah, if, you, if you're trying to bat time, you don't want more cricket balls coming down at you, do you? you know, you've wasted your opportunity if you're a bowler in that, that situation. I, yeah, I like that. Yeah, like if you've got to face five overs that night, you don't want to face any no balls or whites. You know, you, you, you two opening batters are going out there face. Five overs that night, under lights, you know, I've got 30 balls get through them. You don't want to face 31, 32 because they've bowled a couple of no balls. You just say, what, well, I'm going to face 30 balls. That's all I need to do. So I think, I think that would be interesting because then you get to a stage where, you know, Sean Tate's bowling and, and he bowls a no ball and, and the batter during the day goes, no, I don't want to. You're, whoa, hang on. Yeah, it'd be interesting, I think. Your time at Leicestershire. Leicestershire, they've had some terrific performances in, in one-day trophies in the last decade. They... In terms of T20, they've, they've, I think they've won it more times than anybody else. But in terms of the county championship, I mean, you just said there, you're batting out for draws and you know, finishing the, the bottom of the pile. Is, is that a frustration? Is, is that, are there signs that that can be turned around at, at Grace Road? Uh, yeah, definitely frustrating. Yeah, um, it's hard. It's really hard. It's, we seem to be a breeding ground for the bigger counties. You, you look at the players we've lost in the last sort of three years. You, you've lost Ben Rain, Ned Eckersley. Uh, that chapel, and you sort of there's three players: your keeper, your your two opening bowlers, basically. And you sort of seem to go right. We're starting to get a good team together here, and then you lose one or you lose two, and and then some Neil Dexter retires. Yeah, it's it's hard to keep everyone together. I think if Leicester can create something where people want to stay and want to and want to play for Leicester, I think they're on the right track because they have some really good juniors. We have some really good kids coming through. It's just a matter of trying to keep them at Leicester. It sometimes feels that there's a, there's there's like a a pickup truck in in Nottingham that comes across to Leicester and just picks <laughs> yeah. a few up every now and again and takes them back to Trent Bridge. It's, it's, it is that kind of environment, isn't it? And um, I, I did some research. Yeah, I, I did some research uh, last year because it was at a time where England were struggling in the Test matches and nobody seemed to be able to bat time. 
And yeah, the red ball challenge yeah. is totally different to the white ball challenge. And um, I looked at players in the county championship that batted for a long time, scored runs and were able to occupy the crease. And Hassan Azad topped the list of that. I've not really seen too much of Hassan Bat, but you know, for somebody that obviously has played with him, how good is he? Because he, he looks to me as if he's got the, the kind of raw credentials to be a, a test player. Uh, definitely. I think this year this year will be a big year for him. Obviously, his second year is always, always a lot harder than your first. But yeah, you're right. He, he is gritty. He bats time. And, and he's a very good player. Yeah, this year will be really interesting. If he can bat this year up or last year up, well, it's not going to be this year, but the year after now, but if he can back them up for two or three good years on the board, look, he is a fantastic player. He loves batting. He he, he just bats and bats and bats. You know, you, you're not going to outbore him. Um, and that's one thing you want in opening batter. You want an opening batter who's solid and who, who's willing to bat time. And he does that. And he and once he gets himself in, he does go on and make make runs, which is which is fantastic. And he got and he grew at the back end of the year. You know, he he took on the short ball at the back end of the year. At the beginning of the year, he was ducking and weaving. You can see him grow um, throughout the year, so I'm, I'm really excited to see him. Well, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he's back into this year, or look at him next year, and hopefully he backs up this this really good year or this really good run he's had. They say rock stars want to be sportsmen. Everybody wants to be famous in in different fields of life. If you could have been uh, successful doing something completely different, anything you like, what would you have chosen to do? Oh, I'd love Stephen Gerrard. I'd love to have his life. I think his life would be awesome. Are you a Liverpool fan? But. Uh, I am a Liverpool fan, yeah. So um, I, I just think he, he was, for me, so good. He, he stuck, stuck to one club. He did all the hard work and the dirty work. Uh, he really got his hands dirty every time he played in. Um, he, he just led from the front. He is um, speaking. He sees some of the books or reads some of the books. Um, he was just a born leader. And probably the other one at the moment is Michael Jordan. I'm watching The, uh, oh, the Last Dance. Yeah. And, um, that, is, that is awesome. To have, be how good he was and and watch how he went through his life. Yeah, he's another bloke you, you would definitely change shoes with um, straight away. I, t- I tell you what, these these Netflix and Amazon and, and what have you documentaries they do on sport, they've really raised the bar over the last couple of years. There's some absolutely brilliant sort of fly-on-the-wall things. And But that uh, I'm not a basketball fan at all. Um, I mean, obviously, I've heard the name Michael Jordan, but I've been absolutely engrossed in that series. It's been brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm not a massive basketball fan, but obviously, no, obviously Michael Jordan... Um, I know a little bit about the others, but it's, it's just amazing how he, he changed the city, basically. One mm. person who had the, the biggest worth ethic and goal to change the city, change the team, and how he brought all his teammates together. And you know, It's funny, I watched last, the last episode the other night when a couple of people were saying, oh, he's not very well liked. He's not really well liked because he wanted the best out of everyone. He, he just expected so much from everyone and knew, knew that he could, how good they were and expected them to just get there and be there. There's, um, there's that moment and, and in there where, because like you say, he's, he, he was so driven. He, he kind of tried to take everybody along with him and that wasn't always the most popular thing, was it? But there, there was one moment early on in his career where he said to a coach, I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be the best. And, and he effect, effectively told the coach, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to show you. And yeah, the proof was in the pudding, wasn't it? An incredible athlete. Yeah, definitely. And, and just the way he, like, looking back now, he sits back and, and, He's really proud of what he what he achieved, and you, you look back now. You look at his teammates may have not liked him at that stage. He made his teammates well, the best team in the night, best NBA team ever, nearly. And for that, there's also mutual respect between him and his teammates. And I think you look back now, if they all got together, I don't think there'd be one sour 
word said in that room. Recommended, listeners. If you if you haven't watched it yet on Netflix, The Last Dance, it's worth looking at. If you could meet anyone, living or dead, who would you like to meet and have a have a chin wag with? Probably Stephen Gerrard. Um, I'd love to sit down and chat to him. I've, ne- I've never met him, and you know, with the cricket, I've been very fortunate to meet sort of Brian Lara and a few others. But yeah, someone like Stephen Gerrard would be, would be fantastic, and uh, yeah, and and not many people would know Luke Hodge as well from. Uh, footy, a football team over in Australia. I'd love to meet Luke Hodge as well. I think he, he he's, he's nearly the blueprint of Stephen Gerrard, but obviously a um, a Hawthorne player. Yeah. Have you seen the documentary on Gerrard? Which I, th- I think it's on Amazon. That's that's a really good watch as well. No, I haven't seen that one. I'm, I want to get through. Trying to get through the first dance. I'm not a big TV watcher, so trying to get through the first dance, and then um, Ben Rain's been trying to get me to watch that Sunderland until I die. So I said I'll try and give it a watch for him. Um, I'm not sure how long that will last. It's interesting. But, um, it's interesting, actually. That that's something until I died. That's another another example of a really good fly in the wall. Because I think they set up that documentary with Sunderland, thinking, "Oh, they've just been relegated. They're a big club. They'll bounce back. Let's let's watch them be success, successful." And it's actually been two series yeah. where it's actually been frustration, people leaving the club, and yeah. it yeah, it's been chronicling their their misery really. Yeah. All right, that would be interesting for me, for me to watch then. Um, oh, no, it's, 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 it's good to watch because of that. Oh, okay. So I spent some time out up north anyway, so um, with my club stint. So I do watch them in Middlesbrough a little bit. So uh, it's always nice to see them bounce back in the Premier League. They're going to make Cosy the movie. The Steven Spielberg's on the phone to you. He says, who should we cast in your role to play you, Mark Cosgrove, in that film? Who would you choose? Well, we'll make reckon Gary Busey. I don't know if you guys know Gary Busey. Yes, yes. Um, in England. Yeah, yeah. So probably Gary Busey, to be fair. What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Are you a nervous kind of guy? You don't strike me as being. Um, I am, yeah. Um, oh. Look, I play my music um, before a bat, just to calm the nerves a little bit, get a, a nice rhythm before a bat, just nice calming. Um, really nervous. It's probably on a flight, to be fair. I'm not a great flyer. Probably my last game I played of cricket, the All-Star, the Australian All-Stars. We played Sri Lanka in India. It's about... 15 to 20,000 Indians there watching us. I was probably as nervous as I have been for a while. Um, yeah, just who who was there, who was playing, who was uh, around the hotel watching the game. I, I, probably that was probably the most nervous I've been for a long time. What's the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. What would be number one? Well, go on holiday at the moment. Get out of <laughs> get out of my house. But um, <laughs> I love fishing. Uh, me and my mate were talking about catching some um, big barrel uh, tunas out off of um, Victoria. So I'd love to do that in the near future, but probably skiing down the Swiss Alps or in Switzerland somewhere. I've never, I've never seen real snow, so or proper snow. I've seen um, a little bit of snow in Leicester uh, a couple of years ago, but not. I've never seen proper proper snow. So I'd, I'd love to go and ski some some slopes there in Switzerland. Are you a morning or a night person, or has that changed as you uh, got older? Yeah, definitely changed. Um, having a four-year-old probably makes you a morning person. And then obviously when I was a bit younger, I probably was a night person, to be fair. But still still made sure I got my, my sleep in. I enjoy my sleep, so if I'm home at midnight, I still get my nine hours in. Every, everybody needs their beauty sleep, don't they? On a scale of one to uh, ten, ten's the fonds, the coolest you can get. Where would you put yourself on that uh, on that spectrum? How cool are you? <laughs> I think I'm about five. We'll take halfway. Okay. Um, yeah, like trying like to keep up with the young kids, but yeah, they is some gear Ben Mike wears and, and Colin Parkinson, you know, I might just leave that for them. But yeah, I'll take a, take a solid five. 
if you had access to a time machine, you can go forwards or backwards, where would you take it? Where would you drive it to? Well, I'd probably have to say backwards. Backwards to, yeah, when I was 21. Yeah, 21 is a great age for anyone, I reckon. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back. I was having a chat with a friend the other day and we were saying, you know, if we could go back to when we were kind of 20-ish and knowing yep. what we know now, you know, what would we do differently? And there was, you know, women came up and choices in terms of yeah. employment came up and, and all that kind of thing. But it would be fascinating to have that opportunity, wouldn't it, to go back into your old body, knowing what you know now and have the confidence of now, but go back into you, into your life when you were younger. Yeah, definitely. That'd be, it'd be amazing. It would be interesting to see what choices you'd make differently and, and how you'd look at the, the landscape where you're at. Yeah, 14 years is a long time. But it's funny though, isn't it? Because you'd probably make the right decisions, but it would have knock-on effects and you'd probably not have anything that, you know, some of the things that you really enjoy later on in life because you would never meet your wife or your girlfriend uh, or yeah. whatever. So it's, yeah, it's a bizarre one. It's a, that butterfly effect thing. Yeah, definitely. The, the smallest thing, you, you know, you watch the animated TV shows and the smallest thing changes the future. And you're right, the, one decision may have a knock-on effect. Uh, you, you just never know. If you could live anywhere in the world, and you've travelled, you, you've travelled a bit. Where would you like to get a second house and stick it down and uh, you know, have that uh, little bolt hole? Oh, I love Spain. Yeah, I think Spain's fantastic. Oh, Santa, oh, probably Santorini actually, Greece. Oh, that's Greece, beautiful, um, isn't it? Yeah, Santorini. Yeah, now, now I think about it, um, I'd love to have. Yeah, Santorini would be amazing. I went there once and it was just on a day trip and I can remember sitting there on my own in this cafe, sipping a coffee, looking across the water and I'd like to fancy myself as a bit of a writer and I was thinking I could spend 12 weeks here and sit in this cafe and write my books and, and my novels and walk across. Yeah, it is an absolutely beautiful yeah. place, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful and it's just nice and peaceful. Yeah, um, yeah it's just a, just a beautiful place. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Um, well, I'm trying to, trying to grow a beard at the moment. It's turning out red, so wouldn't mind that being brown or black. Um, <laughs> I'd like to have more patience, okay. I think. I think if I had more, more patience, I'd be, uh, it'd be nice. Yeah, I'm impatient. Yeah. And that, that, <laughs> it's not a good quality when you're in lockdown, impatience. <laughs> no, correct, correct. I feel, I feel myself going up a lot more walks at the moment and going to drive around to smack balls. Just, we just can't do normal things at the moment, so it, it's a little bit frustrating. What will you be doing in 10 years' time? What will you be, 45 by that stage? What will you be doing when you're 45? Um, I'd be involved in cricket somewhere, um, coaching or uh, administrating. Um, yeah, I'd like to be still involved in at least sport at least, but yeah, cricket would be fantastic. Other than that, on a fishing boat somewhere, hopefully, in, in, in Australia fishing. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. We got to question number 20. And if you'd been picking these <laughs> questions, if Mark Cosgrove had been interviewing Mark Cosgrove and you'd had the opportunity to ask you anything that you wanted to ask yourself, what would you have asked to get a great and exclusive answer? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, um, probably what were you thinking when you were 20, 21? You sort of had the, had the world at your feet and sort of just didn't really um, appreciate it, to be fair. Um, so I'd probably start somewhere around there and, and then and go from there, like pretty much like we did. So yeah. I think you covered most things. Um, do, you, do you have regrets? Oh. I mean, people say, oh, no regrets. Everything's, you, you do everything for a reason. Like we were saying, the butterfly effect, you know, without all of those decisions, you don't get to where you are now and you seem to be quite happy with life now. But do you, do you look back and, and regret things from back that, at that time that you didn't do things differently? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yes and no. Yeah, like you said, look, I'm really comfortable where, where my life is at at the moment. So I think, I think I've had a pretty good life, a pretty good career, a pretty good life. Um, there's definitely things I'll do better. Are they regrets? 
I'm not really sure their regrets will keep me up at night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely things that I would do differently if I had the chance again. But yeah, I don't think they're going to keep me up at night. On the basis at the moment that we're not quite sure how this English cricket season is going to look. They're talking about internationals, as we've said, in a, in a bio bubble. But the domestic season might just get a line through it this, this year. So we might not see you in England this summer. Will you be back in uh, 2021? Uh, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I, I enjoy playing cricket. I, okay, uh, I had a really good year this year. In, I know it's only club cricket in Adelaide, but... Um, I had a really good year here, and, and I still love the game. I still love playing. I still love the challenge. I still love facing the quicks. So yeah, definitely, I can't, I can't see a, a reason why I wouldn't be back there. Yeah, look forward to seeing you, mate. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the Cricket Budget Podcast today. Been good to talk to you. All the best for everything as you go forward, and uh, hopefully speak to you again. No problem. It's too easy. <laughs> That's what Dizzy always used to say after I interviewed him at Yorkshire. He always used to get him to say too easy. So I used to, I always used to try and get a question in there that was harder. But he always used to stand up and say too easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's that Badger style. Thank you very much to Mark Cosgrove for joining me on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. You'll probably heard when I interviewed Paul Nixon, I, I talked about interviewing Mark Cosgrove. So I'd done him before, Paul, but because Cos's interview is a little bit more timeless than Paul Nixon's, I accelerated Paul up the publication order. I think you'll agree that Mark Cosgrove comes across as a really good bloke, actually. Really good answers to those Cricket Badger 20 questions. And hopefully, now that things have moved on a little bit since we chatted, it looks like we're going to get an English domestic season. Hopefully we'll see Mark Cosgrove on these shores not too far away. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for supporting the Cricket Badger podcast. It is really much appreciated. It's kept us going through lockdown. Give them a follow on Twitter, please, at tvsportsblog. And please like and subscribe and leave nice comments. It would be lovely if you could just spare me a few moments of your time to do that. It does help, honestly, in trying to grow the podcast and attract a new audience. Heard that phrase somewhere before. And to keep the Cricket Badger podcast going into the future. I'll be back again in a few days' time with another edition of the podcast, which is going to feature Samit Patel, the Nottinghamshire and England all-rounder. Plenty more guests planned over the next few days and weeks and months of the Cricket Badger podcast. And hopefully, sooner rather than later, we'll have some cricket to talk about as well. So stay tuned to the Cricket Badger podcast. I've been James, and I'll see you next time. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.